Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Hi. Hi. And it's just you and me today. I know. It's been like a couple months ago since we it's just been the two of us. It's been so wonderful. We've had so So many many good good guests, and uh, it's been a treat to have them here. And it makes my time here easier. It's yeah. very stimulating. We have great. We know a lot of good people. Though. We're gonna have some more coming on, by the way, soon. We do. And we have one coming from Mexico pretty soon. John L. He'll be here. <clears throat> so he's a good friend of mine, a missionary there in Zihuatanejo. But anyway, it's good to be here today. And uh, we've had a lot of things happen um, in the last couple of weeks or last week. It's interesting how we just meet people and they just are opening up wherever I go. And I, I, it even surprises me. It stops me. But I'm getting more comfortable with... I must have a sign written on my forehead or something because they just begin to open up. And what they open up with is the kind of trauma that they're living through today. And uh, we've met a couple of really fine people lately. And it just it, it stops me. You know, we go through the regular things of life and all of a sudden the lady behind the counter is telling me, her husband left her and two, her two kids for a younger woman, and then a new neighbor's. Uh, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but you know, I, I tell you, people go through hard times, and um, it it is truly a condition of life. Uh, how we in in this in our culture can deny it or um, pretend that it's not existing. I don't know how we do it because it's happening to everyone. Everyone has difficulties. But today we're going to be talking about where we started, God, 45 episodes ago. We're talking about adversity and talking about transformative resilience. Um, and it's a great topic because we talk about how important it is uh, to face down the challenges of life, no matter how difficult they are, and not to run away. Now, I've gotten my comeuppance from one of our guests, Mimi, in a very sweet way. She's a good friend. Because um, I don't always understand how people can run away in the face of difficulty and pain that they're facing uh, with loved ones. That I do have a hard time with to this day. So, uh, and I think it was on video and Steve said, our producer, that got you squirming. And I didn't realize I was squirming, but <laughs> he was right. And I wasn't squirming. I was learning. And um, even when she got done, I'm thinking, well, that made a little bit of an impact, not a whole lot, because I still feel that the transformative, resilient way is the best way. And that is when life deals us blows, not to run, but to embrace them and know that we will get through them. And that is not an easy task. And I, for one, I'm very well aware of it personally and professionally, but I really believe it's the, it's the way. And, it, and in it, there's hope. In it, there is a, a, a 
we became we get we become a f- formed in a way a purposeful way a better way we begin to face ourselves and i love that i i don't think the process though is lovable i think it's very painful um but i've been through so many of them with my my own and others that i just know that it's 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 a condition of life that we have to face but i was just looking at you know we've written so many papers and had so many published and I love it because in this show, I just keep going back over our old material and think, how did I forget this? This is good stuff for a show. And uh, it's good stuff for me. Yeah. This week, I just got to say, this week you cleaned off the top of your desk and you found all sorts of good stuff. That's true. That, that, and, it was, and it was like, where did this come from? This is good. Let's not forget this. I and know. It just, yeah, we have many, many things we've done over the years. Really. And the book, and but the papers are really good. But there was one of them that I loved and it was a short one. I think it says that it was uh, for post-traumatic growth. It was a speech that I did someplace. Because it says it was a speech draft. Yes. When, I don't remember where I did We created that. this uh, when uh, we were hoping that you could um, start going out and speaking to groups. And what could we have to uh, send out to them as a sample of the value that you could bring to a group setting? This? And that's how we used it. We used it as, a, um, as uh, something that people could see just the quality of what you would have to share with a group. And, you know, we did use this a couple of weeks ago when we spoke to that young group of, uh, didn't, I used for, a lot of for it. For Norell's group, that's right. Yeah. I asked about her too. She's back at Brandeis studying medicine. Well, she better keep her loving heart. That's all I know. Yeah. Great young woman. Um, but I wanted to, when I was looking at, and uh, our producer and I went, we were invited down to, uh, in 2013, uh, we were helping SEALs, Navy SEALs and their families with post-traumatic stress and other physical traumas. And we were invited to a Bud's graduation. Steve and I went, and Steve's a great proponent veteran himself. Um, and it was really an honor to be there. We were invited by some, I do have friends, and a couple of them were retired admirals, SEAL admirals, and uh, I love the SEALs. I know lately they've had some bad press and they've done some rough things, but generally it's quite a core. But when we went, it was a very moving a ceremony, but there was a, one of the SEALs was, uh, I think he was a, a commander, I don't remember what he was, great speaker, and he spoke about the graduating class of uh, SEALs, and this was a BUDS training class, and you could imagine the difficulty in such a moment of celebration and acknowledgement. Rightly so, rightly oh, so. Yeah, Steve was moved. He didn't, couldn't even talk. He was so moved. I'm looking at it. It was very moving. But one of the things that in this the uh, ceremonial speech that he talked about was, and we will never forget this because we use it in our book as well as part of our book, um, but he talked about how adversity introduces a man to himself. Now, we've modified it, introduced men and women, but, you know, Navy SEALs don't have any women. And he said, adversity introduces a man to himself. Yes. And if any corps, uh, military corps, lives by that, it's the Navy SEALs. And I know Marines do. I know plenty of people do. But they live by that. And um, they don't run from adversity. In fact, they embrace it sometimes a little too gung-ho, as lately they have gotten themselves in trouble. But um, it, it, it touched me, and it opened my eyes to something that really meant a lot to me. And that was how... Uh, when facing adversity and difficulty, uh, 
how it begins to shape us. And it begins to make, well, he was talking to the young graduates, how it was going to make them into the men, the seals they're meant to be. And the kind of uh, adversity they were going to be facing, he talked about. And he also had some, uh, I remember some parents there of some of the seals that had been killed. And uh, very touching ceremony and, and very uh, wonderful, really. It's, but uh, when I, and we've tre- and we've helped some seals that had some pretty uh, traumatic accidents and um, and were wounded for pretty severely. And it's amazing because when we were there, they were the ones that began to help us move out of the clinical perspective. Mm-hmm. And look at something in a more human way, and that, and I remember when they said to us, "We don't want to be caught. We don't want to have post traumatic stress disorder. Anybody goes through as many missions as we do. No one is going to come back without post traumatic stress, and it's not a disorder. It's no. part of our life. At most, they would call it an injury. An injury. That's post-traumatic right. Post traumatic stress injury. And they were right. And that is an accurate way to look at it. Absolutely. And they began. They're smart people. And I remember they they began to open my mind, and uh, look at look at things differently. Not mm-hmm. to look at them as they have psychological and mental and emotional problems, but that they're human beings that have been through a lot, and it's affected them, of course. And we had to help them get back on track and recover from the traumas. And hopefully, we made a dent. I think we did. We've made some good friends in the seal in the so. seal world. But anyway. Uh, I was just looking at that paper. I love it. Um, we called it adversity meeting it head on. And I said right in the beginning um, where we really began to get a handle on the value of adversity and pain and suffering and difficulty and running away from it is not the way to go. Um, we've, we've referred to a book that I love by Alma and Stephanie Stephanie Marston. Marston called Transformative Resilience. I love the book. That's where we were back when we first started our podcast. That's right. We were, we were uh, talking about some of the overlap between our how we see adversity and the process of working through hard times to become resilient. There was a lot of overlap with some of their concepts. And that's why it was easy for us to look at. And we, of course... Yeah, we've had almost well, this uh, today. This month is my 49th year in the in the work, uh, and I've certainly graduated beyond being a psychotherapist at this point to something even more human and more real and more accessible. Uh, and I'm glad of it. But I was also looking at the paper, and it says to face adversity, our starting point is to recognize our own humanity, and we're vulnerable and limited beings. Well, one of the things that I've discovered is this is so true. And it's not something, I'll be honest with you, that we really would choose to do because it involves really taking on the difficulties, the pain, the suffering, and in such extreme ways. But if we're helping our loved one, we're helping others, um, one of the things that it does, it strips us to what's really genuine and real within ourselves. And we also look at, we can see ourselves the good the strengths, but we also can recognize our own limitations. That's very painful to see, um, that we're limited human beings, and we can only go so far. And when you're really facing adversity and struggle, it takes us far beyond our own capabilities. It really does. I think another thing it does is that it it tends to pop our fantasies of control Mm -hmm. or um, safety 
or uh, any of the number of things that we can hold on to to try to feel more comfortable in the world, more secure, um, they tend to go by the wayside when hard times come. Well, you know, those are the fantasies that certainly in our culture it's emphasized. Um, And most people cling to those things because it's... I mean, it's part of our culture. It's part of our lifestyle. It's, our it's lifestyle. kind of a human thing, too. It is. But this, I think that we, in our culture, really emphasize it. We've had some crushing challenges to that. The Great Recession just tore that apart. Um, but people who work with trauma, we are those folks, too, um, that goes by the wayside very quickly. As much as we'd like to have control, though, as much as we'd like to feel secure and... Uh, and and be able to have our future planned and help others, and we work on that. But to be honest with you, when you're dealing with recovery from trauma and you're dealing with adversity, oh, boy, it takes us so far beyond that. And it's a non, It's not just one instance. It's, it's an ongoing kind of process. So I look at that and I go, okay, then that really dovetails into a very current population and... and um, emphasis uh, uh, of these broadcasts and it's dealing with caregivers and it's an it's a pretty good fit i'll tell you why because caregivers deal with that condition of life that most of us would rather not face rather not admit to until it's on top of us Um, and they make it to them it's it's a it's a way of life it's uh they grow up that way, particularly other cultures. We're seeing that so much as we learn about more cultures that from day one, the children are used to dealing with difficulty and struggle, life and death and sickness as just a part of life and knowing how to contend with it and, and cope with it so much better than most of us. Um, I learn from them. I've even learned from the children, I'll be honest with you, the, from other cultures. So to me, it's a beautiful fit. It is a beautiful fit, and it it takes us full circle. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Today we are talking about uh, kind of the full circle of what we've, we've covered in our podcast, uh, caregiving and resilience. Uh, Peter closed the first section of our, our podcast today by saying that caregivers, uh, by placing themselves in the situation of caring for others, facing and taking on the adversity and the pain of that role, uh, they have the opportunity to work through and become resilient. Um, they deal with situations that we, other types, other people can try to avoid until it is right on top of us, yeah. is what he's saying. And one thing I want to say is that so often, you know, we feel, we can feel that, uh, as we said, uh, having some control, having some security is really important uh, to having a good life. And 
we don't always see that the situations where we don't have control, where we are in the midst of adversity, can bring us something very valuable in life. Absolutely, and it's more genuine and more real and more solidly grounded. Um, the other things are, they're important, but I'll be honest with you, when, it, when push comes to shove, they don't always hold up. Um, it takes something more. It takes a certain, I, I, a repertoire of experience where you can fall back on things that you know that you've made it through difficulties before, that there's hope in spite of the difficulty you're facing. Um, I know I've been through that a number of times. I'll be honest with you, the emotional component of it, though, um, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to feel hopeful. It's very difficult. Um, we lose our perspective temporarily. But when you understand the process of caring for others and loving others and, and uh, facing difficulties, you realize deeper that as you get through the impact of it, the emotional impact of it, and, 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 this, and decompress the effects of some of the things you're going through, there is hope. And there is a strength that comes out of it. There's also a spiritual reality of that. There's no denying it. And I don't mean religious. Uh, for some it is. Uh, but it's not that. It's something beyond that, that there's a spiritual component to all of us because we draw upon some kind of strength that goes beyond us. And um, it's, it's a life changer. I've seen people turn against that when they see it and become more embittered and, and uh, furious and I'll be honest with you, many years ago, I was one of those. But honestly, that doesn't hold up. There's something much greater. But we talk about caregivers, and we talk about coming from other cultures, the Fijian, the Haitian, the Filipino, others. They bring a certain understanding of caregiving as just, this is just a, this is a condition of life everybody's going to face. And they, they enter it with that understanding. Here's the one part that we're finding out. There's one big gaping hole, and it has to do with self-care. Self-care. And boy, are they lacking. And does it cause trouble because they're human? And that's an emphasis that we've worked on for many years, and it's still difficult. But it's self-care and how important that is and the, and the forms that it takes. Um, and what we have to be aware of as caregivers. What are caregivers? They're empathic type of people. In other words, we care. We're more compassionate. We're more sensitive. We're, at times, more selfless. Well, we're kind of like a sponge um, in the sense of we also absorb, because we're more sensitive and more giving, um, we also absorb other people's energy and the impact of what they're going through. Uh, that takes a toll. Now, I know we've met people from other cultures. We know many because we deal with caregivers so much now, um, that s some of them know that, and a lot of them don't have any clue. It is uh, To me, it's amazing, but they don't seem to have a connection at all with themselves. To them, it's just, well, this is just what you do, and that's life, and uh, you just got to tough it through. And we've had some people that have come to us, and we were going to help them find a, 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 some placement, and they had just lost someone they were caring for for two, three, four years. And they were came to see us four days after, three days after, and they're on to something else. And they were grieving. They had no idea. Mm -hmm. Now, we've seen things like that happen too often. That, to me, is a weak spot. 
a vulnerability that is not a positive one. And that's not a, a part a part of approaching resilience. That is um, the opposite. The opposite direction. It's the opposite. Yeah, becoming direction. more fragile. In that's some what ways. Ha- that's one of the. Uh, and leading to burnout and sickness yeah. and for the caregivers. Yeah. But I, so one of the things that we've emphasized and we're going to do that today again is well what do caregivers have to do to protect themselves and take care of themselves? We have all kinds of protocols and all kinds of emphases that we've developed over a number of years in helping lots of caregivers. A lot of it started with the embedded um combat crisis treatment people um SEALs, Marines, uh, I'm trying to remember, there were so many different... Uh, where well, we, they, there was also the VA. The VA. The work we and did there with the doctors, nurses, social workers, all clinical All of them that were people. embedded. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had to develop that, and that's years ago. We had to learn what it would take to get these people back on their feet because they were so burned out and exhausted and angry and having such a tough time. So we had to find a way over, I think that, well, I know, that particular contract was for a year mm-hmm. with 18 pro, uh, people, personnel from 18 medical centers that had all been in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. We also dealt with uh, some training for, God, I'm trying to remember. Uh, they came to our institute, and we they were embedded folks too, nurses and caseworkers. Yeah. What were they? And we trained them. Oh, there were psychiatric aides. Yeah. Uh, for a veterans program locally here That's that right. were going in to help, and um, they were here on a kind of an intern training. That's right. Session. And, we, and they, a group of them were brought to us. Some of them training. had served. Some of them had served over in Afghanistan. It was a mixed group. Yeah, they were they were um, reserve. They were reserve group. Now they're reserved. They yeah, they, been were, they weren't then. That's yeah. right. It's, I, it was mixed, but it was a good group. Of, a friend of mine, Colonel David Rabb, uh, who I've been close to. He coordinated, to our, he coordinated our it, and he asked us to do them, them a favor, and we did. Yeah. And I was glad. So we've dealt with this uh, quite a bit uh, mili- in the military. Uh, we deal with it personally because we're in the recover- trauma recovery work that we've been doing uh, for many years. I was a psychotherapist, psychologist today. I see myself as a consultant and a life coach specializing in trauma recovery and the specialized type of body work that we do, not psychotherapy work, to relieve people of the pain that they carry from the stresses and difficulties. This is one of the key things that we, we keep talking about, and we talked about it last week when Kelly was visiting as a guest, mm-hmm. is the mind-body connection yeah. uh, in terms of emotional stress and distress mm-hmm. uh, and taking on that energy that you were talking about. It yeah. isn't just it's in our bodies and in our minds that we that we carry the stress that we have not well, and Kelly's one of our team members, and she's very down to earth. Actually, very smart. She was uh, at one time. She was a she was first, an EMT first responder. Mm-hmm. She's a caregiver today on our team. She's also does other things in our office. Kelly's really terrific. She's more down to earth than the rest of us. I'll tell you that. I agree. She can read through our papers and tell us how to say things in a way that will reach more people. But what really amazes me is sometimes she'll look at paper, things we've written, and she says. I don't think yeah. I think anybody could understand this. It's not just psychology. This is human. Mm-hmm. And um, she was talking about the mind-body connection. And my my reserve about it was I don't want to get clinical. And she says it's not anymore. Most people know about mind. At least understand there is a connection between the mind and body. Mm-hmm. She's right in a much more human 
civilian way. And that's the way we want to reach we out. We want to be at that level, And yes. if Kelly says that, we, li- we listen. <laughs> we take it. <laughs> we listen to Kelly. Yes. So uh, we heard that, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, then we will. She says, you've been dealing with that all along. I said, but I don't want a clinical emphasis anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't do it. She says, it's not. Yeah. She says, this is, everybody knows about it. Yeah. So they may not know about what to do about it, but she says, they know, people know, they, they know what mind-body connection, at least every, some, most people have heard it. I believe that. So we can go ahead with talking about that, but we're going to make it more applicable to caregivers because we're talking about their gaping hole of self-care problems. And we're seeing the problems that, manifest themselves from not taking care of themselves Um, they may start out very well but over a period of time they wear out they wear down they absorb some of the the pain and the difficulty and the energy and struggle of of assisting people who are very sick they're dying Um, they're going to stay with them the people we met right to the last their commitment is to be there yeah the people we know at their own cost and we have actually one fijian on our team Maritha, who is just an angel. We love yes, her, and she's a real pro. Love um, And she's part of our team, and we're so grateful for her. Her husband, Peter, is a caregiver, not on our team, but mm-hmm. he's certainly part of the family. He's a great guy. Um, and they're very much into growing beyond just the cultural, uh, up, their up, cultural upbringing. They want to grow beyond it in the sense of growing to become better people themselves. And, uh, and they're right. I, I hear what they say, and I listen to it carefully. So uh, we believe in that. So one of the emphases today is how what what are some of the ways that a caregiver can begin to uh, read the signs that some, they're absorbing too much, or that their uh, their their emotional life is beginning to take a toll. And uh, we talk about the body is being very important. That's the reservoir for all of our, for everything we go through. And emotionally and physically, the body is the place that's going to tell us um, that what we're dealing with emotionally too, what we're taking on. Unless, and I want to put this out because we're seeing too much of this, and some even on our own team, unless a person is, and I don't want to use a clinical word, we're calling splitting off. The clinical word for it is being disassociative, where they actually have learned somehow in their life through early traumas how to disconnect to survive and not feel anymore what's going on. We're seeing a lot of caregivers like that, and we've seen it on our own team. We can correct it, but it's a big problem. Um, yes. We feel that it's really important to read your, to know your body, to know the, the wounds and the pain that you carry, to know your baseline of who you are. You don't have to be cured. You just have to know what you've gone through, what you've been, when what you what you're carrying as far as a wound or a scar, and how it's affected you, and how under certain circumstances it'll come out. What's what's it look like? And knowing who you are, not the perfect you, the genuine you, the imperfect you. Most caregivers have histories personally. Um, it goes with part of their empathy. But they've also been wounded. They've yeah. also carried emotional scars and, and traumatic scars in their own life. So 
they have to know that about themselves. And, and we can describe that, and you are, you know, in a few sentences. Mm-hmm. And yet this is an incredibly complex, it can be not a simple thing to have to be able to find this in yourself. What's your baseline? Where are your wounds? How are all, all those things a factor in where you are today and the work you're trying to do, especially for caregivers? So let's return to that. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We've been talking about how important it is for caregivers or for anyone who's working in a very stressful uh, or living in a very stressful situation to learn the signs, their own personal signs, of when they have taken on too much uh, stress, negative energy, um, uh, difficulty in their life, and in order to be able to do that, to read those signs, they have to have some kind of a sense of their own history, their own, you called it a baseline for their body and their emotions and how they respond to different things. I think we need to kind of get this more concrete for people mm-hmm. so that they understand. We've talked about it before, but this is, this is essential and yet not simple. Well, I want to make it simple somehow. And uh, we talk about the biology of emotion. Emotions have a lot of makeup to the way they make you wind up thinking. Your thoughts get impacted. Uh, Your emotional life, your spiritual life, your energy life, your uh, psychological, it's all all part of it. You got to know that, yes, it can be very complex. But what's really important um, is to understand that we're human. And we're going to take on, the, if we're dealing with distress, caregivers do all the time. Um, and so do other, we all have to deal with that condition of life when it's upon us. It affects us. And we got to know how. If we're dealing with helping someone else who's under t- tremendous distress, they're sick, they're dying, they're going through difficulty, there's an energy exchange between a caregiver on the front lines and the person they're who's receiving the care. Caregivers have to realize they're going to absorb some of that energy. What if the caregiver says, if I'm a good caregiver, this won't happen to me? They're living in a fantasy. That's denial. Um, It happens to everybody. The key really is to understand the warning signs. And when I say warning, I don't mean emergency or life-threatening. I'm talking about understanding that we're taking on too much or that it's beginning to affect us. I think if they're saying this doesn't this doesn't impact me, there's a problem right there. It's called denying. And and I know before our break, you also talked about um, dissociation, disconnecting from the let's situation. Let's call it let's not dissociation. Something let's call it else. Splitting yes, off. splitting off. Yes, yeah. where people actually have learned to cut off what they're feeling in their bodies to get through things in life that are very traumatic and difficult. It's a common defense. And at the time, it may make complete sense in some kind of tragedies or trauma or natural disasters. It's If you've been through them, you'll know there's a part of you that just shuts, it cuts off. You've got to deal with the immediate. 
and you can't worry about your vulnerabilities and your feelings, you've got to deal with what's right in front of you. Warriors, being on the front lines, that's that fits. You've got to have a, a shut-off button to go. You're not going to be getting into any of that now. You've got to deal with the, the challenges in front of you, and they are overwhelming, and they're terrifying. So that does happen. The key really is to in a, what a more balanced person would be, would be a person that after the traumas are over and realizing that it's affected them, that they have ways to, we call it decompressing. They've got to deal with the impact of what they've been through. The sooner they do it, the better. We call it, when we say decompressing, because the emotions of those times are so intense. The energy buildup, the hyper alert and hyper arouse system in our bodies is on, tw- is a, it's tuned in. But the key really is to be able to, when it's time to let go and, this, and the, the difficulties are behind us, we've got to recognize the energy buildup and the price that it's ta- the toll that it's taken, and we've got to have a way to relieve ourselves of that uh, energy buildup, the effect of it on our emotions, on our psychology, on everything, and we've got to know how to deal with it. Our specialty is helping people recover and dealing with it. We do deal with the body. We were working with a client today, you and I, um, who came in. He's a very intelligent person. Yeah, yes. uh, and very much wants to move forward uh, with uh, putting together and uh, resolving some issues in his life. And we were cha- you were challenging him today to make a connection with his body and with his, uh, he had the mind, he, yeah. he was in his mind, and he was not deliberately avoiding the not emotions in his body, and yet he struggled to make that connection. And I remember you told he. At one point, he's a good man, and I think at one point he was going through this, and he thought we were being critical or hard. I, not at all. Of that course. we didn't understand him. That we didn't understand him. It wasn't us at all. He was talking about, but he couldn't tell that at the time. But you would explain to him. Peter is able to hear what your thinking is and understand it, but he's also got another side that listens to what else is going on, and he's picking up both. That's the empath. You talk about caregivers being empathic, and this is an empathic thing that you were doing. You were picking up both. And later, when we helped him decompress, it became clear it had nothing to do with the present, but it was trauma from the past. And once once we helped him discharge that physically and emotionally, he also saw it and where it came from. And that there was value in that in that opportunity for him to decompress yeah. and connect with oh, it instead life, of kind of keeping it under wraps. It's a lifesaver, and I believe that. He didn't know he was disconnected. It was not on purpose. No, he didn't know because he's so used to it. He yeah. learned to live through trauma, and that was the way he did it. But we were there to help him put the pieces back together in a way that would make his life in the future a lot better and not be so dictated by these hidden parts of himself that were so filled with trauma and and the energy that it took to hold those down. And he wasn't doing it deliberately anymore. No, no. no. So this does happen. And he's very human. He's a fine guy. Um, we see a lot of people like that. So we, we know it's for real. But the key for us is, okay, how do we help caregivers begin to tune into their bodies yes. and understand the toll that their work is taking on them? And these are the best intentioned folks. Um, and so for us, it's to, to educate, and we're doing it right, right on this broadcast today, to, to, to recognize what certain 
emotions feel like in the body, how they begin to change us. Uh, fear, anger, sadness, all of these things have physical um, landmarks in our bodies to tell us this is what's going on. If you think about a person who's an angry person, um, there you'll see that there there's an intensity about them. Uh, there's a, their mind is thinking that they're they got to strike out or something bad is going to happen to them. Um, they're they're just ready for a fight. They're I ready can see to defend your, I can see your jaw tightening yeah, of course, as you talk me. about that. She's talking about No, me. I mean, yeah. even right now. No, I know. You know she's talking about, I yeah. have a preponderance to be that way. Yeah. She's right. Yeah. Um, and she's talking about some of the physical indicators, and one is a tight jaw. Yeah. Absolutely. It's an armored, uh, It's and I know that you've seen me uh, at the Institute when our staff was threatened by a dangerous guy, and and Jenny said, and I took care of it. And then Jenny said, we don't get to see that look in your eye too often. That is a dangerous, you got a cold, hard look that's scary. You know, I rarely go to that place unless there's a threat. Mm -hmm. I learned it when I was growing up on the streets of New Jersey. It's there. It'll always be there, and I can use it when I need it. Um, but I remember Jenny saw it in my eyes. She saw it in my jaw. She saw it in my whole being was, if this particular veteran was going to hurt our staff... He was going down before my staff, and Peter was going to take him down. He would not let, I wouldn't let anybody hurt our staff. And it was a, this was a very threatening man. And we've had a number, not many, mm -hmm. but enough when, you, when they're there, they have to be taken down or put in their place very quickly. And they got to know this is serious business. They're not going to get away with it. Um, and we got to figure out a way to get to them quickly. But you read my body. You saw my eyes. You saw my jaw. You saw how threatening I could get. And, and and what I looked like, and you were aware of it too, though. I was you plenty. Know, of, I was deliberate. You know your baseline. Oh no, you I was very deliberate. Signs. And I know that it's rare that I go to that place, and I mean rare. When I, one time in my life, it was a way of life. It's rare, but when it comes, it's usually coming usually very appropriately. And those are the times when my vulnerability button gets shut down, and we're going to battle. And uh, I push the pause, not the pause button, that's the shutoff button to any vulnerability and having to go to a more of a combative stance. It's very rare, but when it happens, it's, it's there to be done appropriately. Afterwards, of course, I got to discharge that energy and set, relax and calm down because most of my life isn't filled with that kind of thing at all. And That's, this is a process you learned. I learned it for years of, and I call it being part of the being a professional. I was going to go into the helping professions, and it was going to take a toll on me. And part of my going into it, from the world I came from, of course, was to resolve my own pain, and I had plenty of it. And I learned so much in getting my PhD. I learned um, I got a PhD in clinical psych and. Uh, specializing in body therapy at that point. It's, I don't call it psychotherapy anymore, that's for sure. But it's, it was body work. And it really showed me um, that I had to learn how to deal with this in myself because I was going to be dealing with so many people and absorbing um, their whatever emotional state they're in, and that was going to trigger me. It was a caregiving it, profession. Yep, and not to be violent with them, just to feel the pain and absorb it. Mm -hmm. And it could be very intense. So I learned as a professional that was part of my responsibility. So number one, I never hurt anybody. I never contaminated the work. And I was able to get people back on track um, without my stuff f interfering with what they needed to get through.
So I learned that that's part of being a professional. One of the things we're learning about caregivers today is I don't call them professionals too often because they don't do that. And our emphasis is we love what they do and we're committed to saying you've got to learn to be professionals and take care. We know that self-care is so critical to your being resilient, be impactful, to be able to provide nourishing, nurturing, love and selflessness to the people you're taking care of. In order to do that on a consistent basis, you've got to know how to read your own body and you've got to know how to take care of yourself. Um, so we're, that's our commitment and our passion is to teach caregivers how to do this because the need for caregiving the need for what's going on with people, it just amazes me that I, people I run into, how the caregivers are so needed, how people are in such distress. And uh, I want to make sure that we are part of this next wave of helping, but not as psychotherapists anymore, but as coaches and mentors and consultants um, and body workers. So I feel that this is really important. There's other emotions, emotional states too in the body. There's sadness. There's fear. Um, and one of the things that, and I'll speak about that in a minute, but one of the things that we also need to learn to do is how to convert these energy states and these things that we go through into compassionate states. Passion, going back, going to what does empathy and compassion feel like in the body? And it's a lot different. It's softer. Your mind is more open. Your heart's not beating. You're not ready for war. But there's an openness, a receptiveness, an ability to love and to give and to flourish off of doing it. So um, that's an art in itself that we have to teach and we feel is very important. And I know other people are doing it too. Right. We don't want to lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We were talking in our last segment about the process uh, in caregiving, uh, in the many roles that it can take, of uh, taking on negative stress, taking on uh, a burden of emotion or pain, the response within us that is individual to us, fear, anger, sadness, and the importance of being aware of our own characteristic responses to the situations that we encounter as caregivers and our responsibility to decompress, discharge them, and to not have them contaminate our role as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And then just before we ended, you talked about let's not lose track of the positive emotions of caregiving that we can experience. That's what can come out of this, out of the resilience is hope and, resil and uh, very important. But I think one of the things we're talking about is the biological components of emotion. It's in the body, the body-mind connection like Kelly was referring to. Um, of course, I've studied it my whole career, um, and now I'm into a new phase of my career, um, which I like a lot better because I feel a lot more human and a lot connect more connected to folks around me. Um, but I want to say this. Um, I, I guess we would need. To, we talked about what anger feels like. We didn't, you know, we didn't refer to well, what does sadness feel like. What's our thoughts? 
what does fear feel like? Um, we talked about converting these things to, yeah, eventually coming to compassion, how to convert it into something more loving and compassionate. Yeah. And that's something very important. That's a, that's a change. The other thing we could return to in our last segment possibly is we have talked about splitting off or not being connected, uh, kind of going away in our heads or our bodies going numb. Yeah. And uh, is there anything possibly really practical that we could offer the people listening today to kind of work with that? Well, the first happening? thing, that they have to be aware of is they have a they have to be aware and know themselves that they have this issue and they got to know know it in a way that they don't judge themselves and condemn themselves but that it is one of their issues that could become a detriment to their efforts and their work and their relationships there's no question we've seen it a lot lately um and how it, how does someone know this is happening to them well usually during the time they don't know that's until the, they begin the to thing. act destructively um, or begin to get angry at other people for doing things that nobody's doing, and it's them, and they don't even know it. Um, they don't know what they're feeling. They think it's other people doing something to them. Um, they usually, well, a lot of times will get resentful about other people, and then when you really look at it, nobody's doing anything to them. So they're doing what we call a reenactment of some part of their life where they had to be disconnected because the times are so traumatic or so frightening or upsetting or filled with rejection and or some type of trauma that it, it affected their entire life and infected their entire development but what they don't realize is it's not happening now and they believe it's happening now so, so let me let me just repeat that one key thing that people could and they may need some help from someone that do. who knows them to say what you're doing right now really doesn't match what's happening right now. Yeah, and we spend, a, and you know what? In our work for trauma recovery, we spend a lot of time with people where they don't, they believe something's happening now and uh, there's trouble now and nobody's doing anything. What's triggering it, and we'll talk about triggering in a minute, really has to do with the distress of a situation in life that may be similar. It's could be similar. Oh, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're dealing with caregiving, you're dealing with serious, intense distress irrefutable it's true but that's not what's causing them to split off that's not what's causing the origin the trauma it's a similar situation that's triggering off physical memories or reactions from the past that really um don't fit anymore so yes we do see that happen um do these folks know how to deal with it no no not at all their behaviors though and their reactivity begins to tell the other story though because they begin to relive their past in the present and contaminate this relationship that really calls for a lot of selflessness and giving and caring and um, sacrifice and love and nourishment to help people who are so deathly ill moving toward dying and death they don't need the contamination they need our support and love and care and understanding well folks who are split off after a while, who may have started off very loving and caring, they don't realize that they begin to get resentful. They begin to do things that um, aren't so good. Um, there's ele elements to this, though, that you and I have dealt with in our training programs, and we talk about recognizing this is very important. And if you're part of a team, like we work in teams... You can teams, get some help. 
people to, will be to supportive. See, yeah, some feedback saying, here's what we see. And then getting the work to help. And that's not, I don't mean psychotherapy anymore. No. I mean, there are ways to get through this um, and get help with it. Um, and you're going to have to deal with the body and the distortions in the nervous system, but it's doable. Um, you don't have to be mentally ill anymore. That's not what it is. It's a condition of life that needs to be addressed. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, people who get exhausted, we call it compassion fatigue. If you're helping someone who's sick, there's a time when we we've taken on so much that we're emotionally and physically exhausted. The chances of our getting triggered into these old reactions are much greater. So one of the things we teach people is how to become aware that they're moving into from being the normal stresses of life that aren't very destructive. It's part of life. And you can function just fine um, to what we call compassion fatigue, which is where all of a sudden the boundaries begin to come down. You begin to forget about yourself and you begin to be so concerned with the people you're taking care of, you don't take care of yourself anymore. Um, the work that you've loved all of a sudden is you're not so quick to want to come back anymore. Um, things begin to take a little bit of a negative tone or your approach and your attitude and perspective begin to change. Compassion fatigue definitely can cause that. It's not burnout at all, but it can lead to that. Mm -hmm. What is burnout? You're done. You have lost all sense of boundaries. You don't know how to take care of the people that you're responsible to. You don't know how to take care of yourself. Your relationships personally take a big toll, uh, go down and, and become very conflicted. A lot of anger, resentment, bitterness, um, acting out, drugs, alcohol, you name Burnout is trouble. Um, compassion fatigue is more of a yellow flag, not a red flag. And we all go through it yes. to recognize it and know that it may have, there's been some triggers that have happened it's indicative of getting some help and support getting some rest um, taking care of yourself physically emotionally psychologically and spiritually absolutely recharging our energy batteries very important um, we know how to do that we know how to help people get back on their feet um, we feel this is all very important and to get caregivers, now I know that we're talking about it and giving you the big picture. We provide the ways to do it very specifically. Um, and we can help folks do that. We can teach your teams how to do it. Um, and we feel that you need to. It's going to be, I feel it's very needed. We've also seen people begin to act out that are caregivers where they don't want to show up for work anymore. Where they don't, they don't show up. Where they don't return calls or they become very neglectful of the people they're taking care of, um, or they become very mechanistic and, and mechanical, not very loving, caring, and warm and sweet anymore. These are all red flags. Something's wrong. When that begins to happen, if you're on a team like we have, it takes some support to go, hey, what's going on? This doesn't look right. What's been happening? Or you'll hear the complaints about their personal lives. They're in conflict with their husbands or their wives or finances or whatever. And all of a sudden you're looking at the work and it's not looking so good. And they're not sounding so good. But they believe it's everybody else, not them. So it takes some trust on the teams to be able to help. It also takes a way to discharge, decompress, and restore, to get some rest, to get some pleasant times for yourself, letting go of work, being able to come back to it refreshed and renewed. All of the eating well, resting well, all of those things are very important. 
And I think if we were to take this and, again, go back to where we started with the transformative resilience, mm-hmm. um, one of the key ideas about that is that working through uh, our stress, decompressing, coming back, we don't bounce back to where we were. We actually grow. We and can. We, be, we can grow. We can, like adversity introduces a man to himself, we can learn more about ourselves working through the very challenging, painful things that we've been talking about right here, we become more of who we would like to be, who we're meant to be. The idea is not to just regain where we were. No. The idea is to learn and grow and move forward. That's right. I think the old the old thoughts about being resilient means to go back to the old ways and to use your old tools, and that's going to be enough. It's not true anymore. You may have good survival skills. You may have abilities that you've developed. But the new situations call for transforming it into a more updated uh, way of coping and adding new things to it. Uh, So it's not just bouncing back. It's growing. It's changing. It's transforming. It's becoming the person that you're meant to be. Does it come through easy times? Never. No. It comes through struggle, difficulty, and challenges of life. This part of life that we talk about, that most people would rather not hear about unless they're really in it and needing support. This is where it happens. This is the kind of thing that wakes people up to go, wow, I'm in trouble. Um, the folks that run away, I don't know. I'm not one They of them. miss this opportunity. They miss it. And they're not going to have much to fall back on when adversity strikes. We've seen that with folks that are coming to us who um, are very wealthy or their children are wealthy. And when the real life hits them, They've had it in some ways so easy. They have no self-respect. They don't know how to cope. And they just disintegrate. They, they just have choices apart. that allow them to avoid dealing with the hard Avoiding. parts of life. Yeah, and that's to that us. That is a that's, loss. That's, that's a tragic big, loss. And boy, in this life, um, it's, it's a real detriment. So it's the folks that can be this new type of resilience that transforms them into a better person, that they can come alongside others that are suffering and strike because somebody's come alongside them. And there's been that transformative relationship where they now, it's not just somebody, spiritually too. Where do you get that strength? Who comes alongside you or what comes alongside you to get you through your rough times so you aren't able to come alongside others? It's a combination of spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical. Um, We deal with it all. Um, and we're not talking spiritually again, not religiously. It's something all of us have in us that when you're dealing with this, you're going to come to face to face with it one way or the other. Um, we feel that the message that we want to put out here for folks is wake up. This is a preparation or a way to get you through the tough times and realize there's hope. There's a lot to be learned and don't run away. Don't do it. I would add to um, if 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 someone out there is listening today and they're faced with a challenge like we're talking about, and they have a sense that they want to run away. Um, you were just talking about how important it can be to have someone come alongside you, or to have a faith that 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 gives you some strength. You feel that you have someone alongside you, or something alongside you. If you if you feel alone in an adverse, difficult situation, instead of running, if there's someone you can get support from, 
reach out for it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And we all feel like running. <laughs> See, you're talking about the emotional state. Who doesn't feel like running away when you're seeing this? We all do. The key really is don't. For those folks that do run away, I can only caution you to turn it around before it's too late. Because one thing we see for folks who run away is they're filled with remorse and regret for what they didn't do. They certainly don't have self-respect. They feel a lot less, and legitimately so, because they've let people down. And themselves. And and themselves. Um, Empathetically, not everybody has the tools to face these difficulties, and a person like myself has a hard time understanding that. Now, we have friends that are just, they face it, but they have an empathy for those that can't and that run away. Okay, I I think it calls for that. I probably wouldn't be the best proponent because I would encourage people, don't run away. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't pretend that this isn't happening. Face it. Uh, You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or about Dr. Bernstein, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. If you'd like some of the resources uh, that we have to offer, please contact me, and my contact information is at our website, thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.